effective way to bring people to Jesus was the church plant down here. However, Cell 53 is uh, not about Cell 53. Cell 53 is about Jesus. We've got this other church in the area called City Reach. Daniel, that's your cue. Daniel. Daniel, that's your cue. Oh, who's Daniel? He's in the lion's den. Yeah. 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 Work this microphone. I'm only good at one thing. All right, there you go. So Daniel, while we were in the living room plotting to come down here and bless the city, Daniel was in school. That drove clock to the mic. Paid millions of dollars. <laughs> I literally choked on that. Daniel was in school and God was prepping Daniel to church plant also in our area. Yeah. Um, so as Daniel was church planting, um, he came down here and we met up pretty quick. I, I was actually in, uh, on a business trip, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Daniel and I began working together. We would plan to figure out how to plant this church that he was working with while we were planting our church. Now, usually what happens is that, you know, churches compete with each other and all the rest of it. Uh, but again, self-53 is about self-53. It's about Jesus, it's about the neighborhood, it's about downtown. Right? So, I was like, this is awesome because this is another downtown church. The strategy, that is a word. Shout out to George Bush. The strategy. The strategy uh, made a lot of sense to me because uh, Daniel, uh, their focus was on uh, guys who were, uh, you know, dealing with drugs and things like that in men's home, and uh, our focus was in downtown Lewis, and there's obviously a lot of overlap. We sent people to his men's home and all the rest of it. So I wanted Daniel to kind of talk about his testimony, talk about where he's at with City Reach, and um, like we've always said every time, yo, what's up, cop? What we've always said, uh, every time that a City Reach person comes up here, um, think long and hard about where God wants you uh, to be. Because I'm sure many of you in cell love being in cell, but it may very well be that God wants you to actually slide over to City Reach and work over there. Where are you guys at? What's your address? Uh, 46 Cedar Street. Wow, that's a lot of uh, okay. We're right at uh, the Franco Center, right down here across from the homeless shelter. What time? Uh, 10.30 a.m., Sunday morning. Okay, 10.30 Sunday morning. So pray about it, really consider it. God may want you to slide over there and uh, push forward the movement from that uh, hub. Okay, so Daniel, take it away. you got as much time as you want. you got 10 minutes. Okay? <laughs> I think we should just do, like, cell reach 53. So I'm Daniel. A lot of you guys know me. Some of you guys don't. Um, as he said, we, we just planted uh, right here downtown at the Franco Center. We're renting from them. Uh, right downstairs in the basement. Uh, and uh, let's see, we got started September 20th. We launched for our very first time. Um, part of our testimony, like I'll tell you guys, uh, I had basically preached one time in my life before we launched that church, and it was right here. <laughs> and, uh, or twice, I guess. I did it twice before we launched. And that was because of Andrew. He forced me to. And that didn't really <laughs> but I'll get to all that. So, um, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I come from Lewiston area. I, I was born actually at CMMC Hospital, um, and I grew up in, in Lewiston until I was about five years old. I believe was when we moved uh, moved out to Lisbon, just the next town over, and that's where I spent most of my life. Um, however, obviously everything is in Lewiston Auburn area. Shopped here. A lot of my friends were here. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, in this city and and. Uh, I actually grew up in in uh, in Assembly of God Church, um, right in, in Lewiston here. It's uh, uh, First Assembly of God in Lewiston with uh, Pastor Donald Kugel. Uh, he's a great guy, and uh, I, I spent most of my life in that church. I was born and raised in there uh, until I was about 12 years old. And uh, some things went down in the church. Uh, I don't even know still to this day exactly why. Or, or what happened, but uh, my family was one of the families that had left the church, and, and we were kind of seeking a, a new one, and um, just one of those sticky situations, I guess, and, and uh, so we were searching for a new church for a while, and we, we were going to a few, kind of bouncing around, and, and uh, week to week it would change, we, we'd kind of skip a week, and then we'd skip two weeks, and then we'd skip three weeks, and every now and then you just get farther and farther, and um, just over a period of time, my, my family had just really kind of grown apart from church and God and everything that has to do with that. And, um, and we just kind of stopped going all together at one point. And, um, 
never turned around, never looked back. And, um, mentally, for sure we did, uh, but we never, our actions never backed it up. We never went back. And, um, so I grew up in school um, at a young, crucial age, 12, 12, 13 years old, and I decided I was going to begin chasing popularity and girls and all the all the things you see on TV, all the things that media shows you and tells you is a, a good thing. <laughs> all, the, all the things that media show you and, and you see the party lifestyle and, and the, the scandalousness and the, the, the fun and all the stuff that goes with that. And, um, that looked fun to me and that was something I was interested in. I, I just began to chase that more than anything. Um, and uh, I graduated high school in 2007. Throughout all of high school I was kind of flirting with these different things. and. Um, and when I finally graduated and turned 18 years old, um, my parents really loosened up on me. And I just kind of went nuts. Like, I did everything I wasn't doing before. Everything I was kind of restricted from before, I just kind of went crazy. And uh, decided I was going to just go have a good time and, and, and uh, pursue all the things I had wanted that I was kind of held back from while I was under their control. Um, so I went crazy. I was, I was drinking multiple nights a week and in between smoking weed while I couldn't get drunk. And, um, you know, just the, the light stuff. It's not a big deal. Everybody does it, right? Exactly. Just the light stuff that, that we all just say, yeah, you know, no big deal. Everybody does it. The clubs are full. It's normal. People live lifestyles that, that can, they can, they can still hold a job. They can still do this. They can still do that. It's fine. Um, that was kind of my mentality with it after I, I'd seen so many people like that. And, um, it wasn't fine. Uh, my life began uh, really just crashing down. It just, it was like the world was closing in on me, and everything that I thought was so fun for so long uh, was just invading my life and, and just tearing me down. And um, I thought it was fun for, for a period of time. There was a period of time where everything seemed good, everything seemed fun. Uh, and then that, that period ended, and I realized I was addicted. I was suicidal for the first time in my life. Um, First time in my life, I, I had never understood what, what suicidal was like. I never understood why anybody would ever want to take their lives. But I remember during this time in my life, I, uh, for the first time, I actually thought about taking my own life. And, um, and I think that's where it began to open my, my eyes to, to where I was truly at. And, um, my sister, much like me, had, had sort of done the same, same thing, but she, she had just quit, she gave up, and she decided she was going to give her life back to the Lord, and, and she, uh, she actually went with Tanya down to uh, North Point Bible College way back, you had taken her down there, and um, she decided to enroll, because she wanted to get away from home, and, and just give her life back to the Lord, and um, I thought she was crazy, but I was like, go for it, and, uh, and it was just one semester later um, that it was my turn, and uh, Little did I realize while she was down there, um, she had an army of people praying for me. I had no clue, but it turns out um, in the prayer chapel that they have there, they have prayer meetings all the time, and my name was one of the names on the board. And they would have um, meetings where they would literally just pray for everybody on that board. And, um, I had no clue and, and that I, anybody was praying for me, but it's funny because a lot of times we, when we pray for somebody, right, we... Uh, we have this idea that as we pray for them, things are going to get better. Like, so you start praying for somebody, and all of a sudden, things are going to start looking up. They're going to turn to God. Everything's good. But one thing I noticed is when they started praying for me, everything got worse. Yeah. Everything got way, way, way worse. And I, I was at the lowest of my lows. It, was, it got as bad as it could possibly get. And I realized that during those prayers, and I said this to someone I encourage you guys, because so many of us go through this stuff, and so many get discouraged when we see these people we're praying for, and we think it's not working. It's getting worse. What's going on? God will bring us to the end of ourselves before we will make the decision to, to pursue Him. And, um, just want to encourage you in that. That was that was exactly my situation. And, um, and when it when it came crashing down, I decided um, after this sort of intervention night that my parents kept me home and forced me to talk. And, uh, I decided to please my mom. I'd go down to this campus experience and, and check this place out. Um, really wasn't interested, but uh, my mom begged me to go down. She's like, "I'll pay for the whole thing. Just just go down there." So I, I did that, and I got down there, and I was hard and cold as could be, and, and completely uninterested in God, uninterested in anything like that. And, um, it wasn't until the night before, um, until the night before we were supposed to go home, and, and God just rocked my world. Just I, I can't even explain to you what happened, but um, just hit me so hard, and I was just, I was just weeping hysterically, and, and um, I knew I just, 
I didn't really know what the voice of God was like. I didn't, I didn't know how that, that worked or anything, but I, I just felt like I needed to be there. I was like, man, I need to just leave home and come here and enroll in this place. And, um, this girl I don't even know comes up to me and she says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're going through, but I feel like God's telling me to tell you that you need to be here. And um, just, again, rocked my world all over again. And uh, that was it for me. And I, I knew that the following semester I was going to just let go of everything and, and, and head down there and, and give my life to the Lord. Um, and that's what I did. I came back here still a mess, still around the same people, doing the same stupid things. But I made sure I made it my business to get down there because uh, I knew what I wanted. I knew I knew I wanted to let it all go. And um, throughout my time there, uh, I spent uh, not only four years in college, but five years in college. <laughs> uh, Blessings. <laughs> uh, but while I was down there, um, I man, I went through a, a series of things. I went down there spiritually on fire, just excited, and God was changing me so much. And there were all these things happening. And, and uh, but then after that initial spiritual high that I had, summer came, and uh, I stayed on campus there. But all of a sudden, um, all these different things happened. I found out one of my friends was in a mental institution. And, Another friend's uh, grandmother, who was like a grandmother to me, is, is dying of cancer. And in the middle of that summer, my parents call me home to tell, tell us that they're, they're getting a divorce. And um, just everything came crashing, everything, just like a flood. And, um, I lost that spiritual high. I lost that, that, that um, excitement to pursue God. I lost all those things. And, and that was where um, things got harder. It wasn't so easy. I wasn't living off that high anymore. I was now... It was now a time where I had to like really put my, my money where my mouth was, and, um, and I was failing miserably. And now, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I, I started this whole secret life thing that I wasn't telling anybody about. At school, I was I was a spiritual guy, but at home, I was the same person I used to be. And uh, I, I, I had this balance just, at school, it was good, everything was fine, but at home, I'd go back right to the things that I, I, I used to be doing. I was playing this game like, like many Christians do, where... They go into church, they put a smile on, they say, yeah, everything's great, but as soon as they're behind closed doors, everything is different. And uh, my life was a mess. Throughout most of my time in school, I was depressed. I struggled with depression all over again. Um, it was rough. It was rough, man. It really was. And, um, and what's insane is even during that season of my life, even during my seeker life, even during all these things, in my, my senior year of, of college, um, there was this, this church planting group that came up to the school and um, called the Start Group. They come up every single year. My wife and I used to sit in on them, and, and even before she was my wife, we'd go to these things and just listen to these guys talk. We were always so um, inspired and in awe of these these men and women of faith that that would go and plant churches and just start from the bottom and watch God do something radical. And um, never planned to pursue it. Never planned to be a church planter. But we thought maybe someday, maybe in 20 years or something, we'll. We'll get in on a church plant, something like this, and, and be a part of it. And, um, and in my senior year, um, I went to some altar call during this time where, where these guys were up here talking with us and, and just went and had, had one of these guys pray over me. And, and at the end of it, he asked me where, where I was from, and I, I told him Lewiston, Maine. He says, uh, it was actually Bobby Bledsoe, and uh, he says, he says, no way. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm about to plant a church in, in Bangor, uh, where all these guys are from here. And, um, he says, I'm about to plant a church in Bangor, and uh, me and some guys from the church have been driving and walking around Lewiston and praying for God to send us someone with a heart for Lewiston that would want to plant there. And uh, I was like, well, good luck finding them. I'm not your guy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, nice coincidence, but there's no way. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, anyhow, uh, throughout a few weeks, um, I felt like God was really speaking to me that this was something he had for us. And... Uh, I just couldn't even stand the thought of it because I knew that I had sinned in my life and that I had this whole secret life going on in the background. This is what the chokes pale. <laughs> but it's insane because this was all part of God's plan to pull me out of what I was in. And not only to pull me out, but put me in front of people. Insane. In a place where any human would have looked at me if they knew who I was and said, God, God can't use you. God cannot use you, there's no way. God saw through it, and he used that. And, uh, and he brought me here, and uh, Andrew's been a monumental part in, in all of this, in, me, in 
me coming out of this stuff and me and, and all these all these things, all the mess and sorting it out and getting me to preach. Even even the fact that I'm standing in front of you is a freaking miracle. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, but uh, this this church right here has been a monumental part of, of getting us to where we are today. And uh, we came up here and we we launched a men's home as soon as we got up here in uh, I want to say it was January. We got the home or February, I believe. We got the home. Got it going, and Kev was the leader for, for what, eight months or so? Something like that. Quite a while, so yeah. And um, had the home going for a while, and um, we were just in a place that, that, that we just didn't financially have the money anymore. Um, we didn't have the, the backing of, of the church because the structure just wasn't there yet. The church wasn't launched until September, and um, it, we just came to a point to where we, we had to uh, unfortunately close it down for the time being. Um, but it was amazing while we were here. We had so many men come into this home, and their lives were changed. Um, even men that are in this room today, uh, one right back there, <laughs> life is forever changed. God, God really used it, and, um, and, and there's so many others that, that aren't here in this moment, but so many that are still pursuing God because of that moment. Um, and these, these men and women right here are some of the, some of the uh, men and women that are, are going through the same exact thing right now and allowing God to, to transform their lives through these homes. And, um, we're planning to get that home going again at some point here. We're, we're waiting to get the, the backing of the church, the backing of even this church, just people who want to be a part of that and go in and, and cook for these men and pour into these men, spend time with them, teach them, and, and just give them wisdom and uh, pray with them. Um, but we, we are almost, we're in a place where we could almost get that started again, but we got to get people behind it and really, really excited about it and committed to it. And, um, and when, when we get there, we're, we're going to start this thing up again and continue to watch God change lives. And, um, until then, I said it's about it. Okay, so it was cool. You, you know, they had that wall, you know, where you pray for people. We are at a prayer meeting yesterday, and uh, we're praying for this guy. So Marcel said he had an update. And he was all mysterious about what the update was. So um, there you go, Marcel. And that, that, right? um, some of you have probably seen me around. I've been, my wife and I have been coming here on Friday nights to help out. My wife, Janine, she's not here tonight. You'll find out why. Uh, I got a son, Stephen, daughter, Heather, son in law, Kyle. I won't forget him. Um, but we're all kind of related somehow. Um, but the power of prayer, Dan was saying, I mean, it's an incredible thing. And we asked you guys. I also have another son, okay, and a daughter-in-law, and she got word that her stepdad, who raised her since she was about six years old, I think, something like that, was dying, okay, and um, that was brought to you guys last night when you guys had your prayer meeting, and um, he's been laying in the hospital bed, not moving for nine weeks, okay, his liver's failed, diabetes is just taken over, um, really crucial, real critical, and um, it's just... They brought him home to pass away. So Janine, my other son and daughter-in-law, and the two little kids got in the car and headed to Ohio. Okay, they drove straight through so they could get there before he passed away. Um, so that's where we brought the prayers to you guys last night for their travel and getting them there. Well, I wrote some of this stuff down. I'm trying not to forget much here. Uh, they did bring him home. The hospice took, uh, took care of him until he passes away. Uh, when they brought him home, he couldn't move anything. Okay, his fingers. He had trouble opening his eyelids, okay? They, when he didn't have much strength to do that. Um, they put him in that hospital bed at the house. And uh, he had said that before that, that he was tired of being sick, diabetes, the, the liver, everything. He was ready to go home and be with the Lord. We did find out, good news, that he's safe, okay? So that's really one answer to prayer right there. Um, but he was ready to die, and they stopped giving him medications, okay? The hospice, that's what it's for. And we know a lot of people were praying for, uh, his name is Mo, praying for last night. And uh, Heather shared a verse out of Psalms 57.2, and uh, we were able to get that verse out to them, where it says, I cry out to God most high, to God, who fulfills his purpose in me. We all know God has a specific thing for us to do in our lives, and his will working through us. Well, this morning, uh, they've been staying at a hotel nearby because there's not enough room in the house. My daughter-in-law and my son got the, the phone call and received from her mom a miracle. 
Okay? Mo sat up in his bed by himself, got help to get you He's been laying down for nine weeks. He used a walker. He walked to the kitchen table, had breakfast with them. Was talking with them, moved everything he needed to move. I'm telling you, it's just just incredible. The hospice workers showed up this morning. <laughs> they were shocked. And uh, as it says in one of the books we uh, we read, Tammy, of course they were. <laughs> of course they were shocked, because they don't know what the miracle means. Um, this afternoon he was having some pizza with him. He's still doing he's he's doing a-okay right now. Well most most shared something. Uh, when he was I don't know exactly when, but it may have been last night when everybody was praying. But he said God woke him up in a dream and said that he has something for him to do. And he needs to tell somebody about God. He just didn't know who. So let me tell you what Mo's doing today. Everybody he sees, he's telling you about God. Co-workers, friends showing up because they thought he was dying. And so they came to visit. He's just sharing God with everybody. So uh, he's just, um, if this is a miracle that just happens for today, we don't know what the future holds, but Val has had a whole other day to spend with her dad. He got to hold the grandkids, which they didn't know he would do. He had the strength to hold a little month-old baby and a two-year-old grandson. Okay, he hasn't even seen the little one yet, so he did today. And so if that's the only miracle God gives us, we praise him for it. Uh, whatever God's will is in this man's life, you know, Yes. Okay, so in a couple of weeks you're going to get your four <laughs> yes. 
Oh Lord. Okay, so I'm just gonna give you the floor. You can take as much time as you want, ten minutes, and uh, let everybody know what God's done in your life in ten minutes. Okay. Okay. So my name is Casey. I'm from Bangor. Um, I experimented with drugs and alcohol at the age of 13. I uh, became an alcoholic pretty much at 16. Uh, I was always, you know, I, I kind of like the, I lived a double, double life. Um, I was getting high and drinking all the time, but I also played sports. Um, when I graduated, I got my first full-time job, and pretty much when I, I, yeah, when I was 25, I got into oxys really bad, um, and um, I, uh, about, I think in 2010, um, it really got bad for me. Um, my sister committed suicide. Um, I took in her children, but I was still using prior to this. Um, I got in my first car accident with my niece, she was five. Uh, I totaled my car, I was fine, she was fine. I still continued to use. Uh, I lived an hour away from my job, so I traveled quite a bit. So, I pretty much totaled my car every year. Uh, I've gotten into like six car accidents, like totaled my cars. Um, the last accident I got into was um, in July, the beginning of July, I crashed my Jeep into a pole. While that was getting fixed, uh, I decided to drink and drive my rental car. Total that, um, and I got, did get my first OUI in July. And so, but I never got a scratch, I never got a bump, I never got sore. Uh, I also tried to commit suicide many times. Um, and before I came into the home, because uh, I raised my nephew, uh, my niece was always in the picture, I didn't have full custody of her, but I had him since 12. And um, so, because of the oxys, mostly, is I, I was at my job for 15 years, and in November I lost my job because I went to work so impaired that I thought I was okay, but I was totally blacked out, I didn't even know anything. Um, so I lost my, I had my own apartment, um, so I, once my nephew graduated, I had to move because I couldn't afford to travel. So I lost my apartment, I got OUI, I lost my car, then I lost my job. So I felt like, you know, what's the sense? So I really just went, I didn't care, just did everything I could, you know. Uh, and then on Christmas, um, uh, I had a straight talk phone, and it was out. And so we were at dinner, I had just seen my nephew, he had went home, and um, my aunt, my mom and I were talking, and my aunt overheard me saying, well, I don't have my straight talk phone, like, it's not hooked up, and so she overheard us talking, so she, like, all of a sudden I said, thank you for refilling, and I'm like, what the heck? So anyway, uh, two o'clock that morning, I get a phone call from the emergency room, which it was an hour away, and this nurse called and said, well, Yes, I have Nathan Burns in the um, emergency room. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, what happened? And um, she said, um, and he, this boy always played sports. He was not into drugs at all. And so she said, well, he overdosed. I'm like, overdosed? Overdosed on what? She goes, well, he smoked a joint. So like that made me instantly, I was like mad. Because I'm like, okay, overdose and smoking a joint's a little bit different than, you know. But then I got thinking about it because like, her using that word overdose um, really hit home to me because I thought about, I lost my apartment, I lost my job, I lost my car. I couldn't imagine losing my son, you know? And so I came into the home two days later um, because I felt like I was guilty because like he never did anything. Like he might drink a little bit and stuff, but like that, that word overdose, like, it made me mad at first, but it really hit home to me. You know, and then when I was talking to my nephew the next day, I'm like, well, you know, what happened, you know? And he did really open, just smoke a joint. He said, like, he seized up, and then he's like, honey, I felt like I was dying. And when he said that to me, I'm like, you know, I'm going to fix my life because I don't want, I, I, I wanted to do it for myself, but I wanted to show him, too, that, you know, that there's a better life. When I came into the home, I didn't know anything about God. Never opened a Bible in my life. Um, it was so it was so funny. Like I told my leader, I was reading the Bible. I'm like, like what is the difference between Old Testament and New Testament? And that's how bad I was. Now I've read three books in the Bible so far. 
And honestly, I can't tell you the high that I feel for Jesus. Right now, just in three and a half months. I don't have to wake up every morning, find out or figure out what fix I'm going to get that day. I don't have to go through withdrawals again. And um, it's free. So I'm very grateful for this program. I am very lucky. Uh, I'm just, I'm very blessed. I'm blessed with having these girls. I have the best support there is. Not only that, like when I came into the home, like these women, this church family, like I was only like a couple days in and like they just oh, open arms. Like and I'm thinking, okay, here I am, like an addict, you know, and they know I'm an addict and they love me anyway. Like there's no judgment. And I'm like, you know, and I've never had the love of Jesus before. Like, and like, it's just, it's just awesome. I just, I just encourage everybody to just, just seek him if you haven't and just keep seeking him because he, and, and I have my days, like, I'm not kidding you, like, I have days, like, I'm not, I mean, we all do, right? So, you know, it's not, it's not easy, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I know it's going to be the best reward right. in my life. <laughs> Thank you. So that was my roommate. <laughs> um, I'm Jackie. I got kicked on a plane to Maine from Delaware. So, love you, Dad. Um, I have been a drug addict for 10 years. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter who's never met her mother sober. So, it's hard for me to talk about it first. Um, I don't know how anybody could do that to their child now that I'm clear-headed. I don't know how I could ever go back to that and hurt someone like that that's four years old. She didn't deserve that. She deserves a mommy. So, going back, uh, I was home to school, very sheltered, very, very sheltered. My dad didn't let us out of the house. He was an alcoholic my whole life, um, very abusive in every single way that you can possibly be abusive. Um, so, when I turned 18, oh my goodness, I went crazy. I went wild. I met a guy and lived in, moved in with him within three months of knowing him. Uh, and I was with him for six and a half years, and he was abusive in every single way. So it was like one bad to another. Um, I started doing Percocets to deal with my pain. And I had been going to church my entire life. Since I was a week old, I'd been in church. I've sitting where you guys are sitting, but I did not know what it meant to have a relationship with God. Uh, I knew the books of the Bible, I knew the stories. That means nothing without God. Um, so I walked into the city reach and it was like a smack in the face. I was like, holy crap, that's God. <laughs> that's what God feels like. Um, it didn't take me hitting rock bottom like some people. I've never been arrested. I've never been to rehab. I've never detoxed before I came here. I've never even tried to get clean. In 10 years, I've never been sober for more than 24 hours. So I went through it when I was here, needless to say. It sucked, but I'm glad it happened that way. It's a reminder. I will never go back to that. I've been in the program two months, and I feel that's why they call it being reborn. I am so different now than I've ever been in my life. I'm Jackie again. <laughs> take medicine every day. Is it because your back hurts? Um, I cried my eyes out for a few hours and I texted my dad and I said I need help dad. Um, I was, my daughter's father is my boyfriend for six and a half years. He didn't even know I was on drugs until two weeks before I came here. Um, I was really good at hiding. I had a good job. Like I said, I had never been arrested, never been in trouble. Nobody knew. It was like two different Jackies. So I was angry. I had to come this far and be this far away from home. I won't get to see my daughter the whole nine months. Um, so I had a lot of guilt for that at first, but I know that God has his arms so yeah. wrapped around her right now. He's taking care of her so that when I do go back, I can be a mom that she yes. deserves. Yes. So um, if I could tell you guys anything, it's I know that you're all sitting here, but make sure that your relationship with God is strong. Pray about it. Faith is where it's at. Yeah. And prayer helps me get through every single day. I surrender to God every day that I wake up. So I'm here because of it. Yeah. <laughs> So I grew up around it. Raids were normal. You shut your eyes, shut your mouth. You won't get any dirty laundry. Until I was raised, it was beat into us. Beat. Keep your mouth shut. My children were affected. It seems like that seems to be like the theme. Children. 
Let me just tell you, I don't, I've not even seen my children. I just got out of jail last month. First time I got a charge, I was 13. I've done two prison stints down south. I was born in Rockland. My mother moved us. My mother was a gypsy. And she'd clean them out, pick us up at school. We were in the car. We're going. Where are we going? You'll find out when you get there. That installed me. I have a generational curse that I'm breaking. I have a Break every chain. My mother. My mother was molested. I was molested. My children were molested. And I'm breaking that I've done vile things with my body. I've done vile things with my mind. I've used every substance possible to fill that void that can't be filled by, with anything but him. But him. Not only do I not even smoke a cigarette, I was taken from jail into this home with no money, no clothes. This woman spent $100 just a random I walked into a cell from a girl that I had met just using. My house was turned into a trap house. I let a dope way into my house. So, and that's another thing. Up here, you guys have whole different views on stuff. Like, I'm like, I was raised in Cocoa, Florida. I'm from Dope Boy Dreams and Cocaine Fantasy, baby. Like, a trap house is nothing crazy. Okay, so like, I come up here, and the first day I got out, a couple of days after, um, one of my homeboys, Lance, there was a soul tie there. He was my running dude. He was my, you know what I mean? Because I'm more like, I'm dude's mentality. I've been running my whole life, like money, money, money. I see great. You know what I mean? Now I'm okay with not having any money in my pocket. I'm okay with yeah. not seeing my kids because I know that God's going to restore. Yeah. From me to them, and then He's going to put us together and get us on fire. My children are going to know the God that saved my life. Yeah. That saved their life. My God's going to know. He is so high. He is so powerful. I still have you, and I'm going to say this because of children, but I still have something broke off in my neck that I used to use to this day. To this day, but I'm standing up here. I was in a coma for a week, no brain activity, 12 different substances. I was life-lighted. God saved me not once, but three times. Yeah. I sat up from a coma after they told my mother I was going to be a vegetable. Ooh, and I said, where's my kid? Where's my kid? And that's it. And then I smoked the cigarette in the vent. Because my mind was still so torn. That thing about the prayer, it's funny, though, because I was pulled back to Bangor. Um, my last run was in Portland. Um, I've had, I can't even, the abuse is just ridiculous, I couldn't even start it, but um, I met a, a person from City Reach who prayed for an hour at a table for me. Kevin was told, because I randomly saw another person from City Reach, they prayed for me, but it had to get bad. Yeah. I had to lose my children, I had to lose my, my just my dignity, my glory. I was doing things for the lowest of the low at the end of it. I had no pride. I had no grace. I had no beauty. There was nothing. You saw me and my eyes were black. They were sunken in. There was no beauty. There was no grace there like God gives me today. I wouldn't walk in the room with Brandon Jordans and say nothing because I didn't have nothing. I had given you everything for that fix that I get every morning. Just yeah. to wake up and say, thank you for letting me breathe. Thank you for saving me and pulling me from the dark place. And I will never go there again because my God is higher than anything. Amen. And another thing I want to hit on is that the generational curse is our children as well. That things that I installed into my children, you know, just by go clean your room. Go clean your room, please. Because you're, we're raising men and women. We're raising men, not boys. Because that's what's wrong with this world today, is that we are raising boys. They don't respect their women because we didn't respect them. Because they didn't have respect either. My daughter, is her mind is being renewed. She just happened to go to a foster home that he works on mind renewal. And um, my baby is five years old and she is knocking people out at school. Can you imagine an anger so deep that I, that I, that I, that I can fix? <laughs> that I can fix, that I might have done, but I can fix. By changing the way that I talk to her, by changing the way that I speak to her, by changing everything, my outlooks, my men that I choose. Because for me, that was huge, huge. Had the men, the, Allie tells me all the time, she goes, that guy that you're talking to and you're flirtatious, and would you, would you allow him alone with your children, alone? Whoa, like I never thought about that, you know what I mean? Like, 
at the end of the day, we are raising men and women that are going to raise more men and women. We need to break this generational curse from the rip. Not when it's happening, not because it happened, but from the rip. We need to raise men and women that are aware and refuse to be disrespected, refuse to let things happen like that. And that is all, and I'm Casey, and I grew up all up and down the East Coast, and God is, oh, and that's another thing, there's no 13 steps, there's no 12, there's no 62 steps. Read the Bible and pray. shaken from that one. Well, it's interesting that I'm here tonight because it didn't exactly all start right here, but part of it started right here. Um, I grew up without my dad. He's always been in prison. My mom was a raging alcoholic. I was really poor. Uh, I used to call around on the counters, you know, stand on the counters looking for food, trying to get food for my little sister. The only one that I grew up with out of four. We all have different dads. Um, I've been alone my whole life. I felt just unwanted and unimportant my whole life. And so, I'm going to take you to when I was 18 years old. I had a, I had a girlfriend. That's and, where you go and buy drugs. Buy and sell drugs, basically. So, when I was 18, I was homeless. I've been homeless a lot ever since I was 14, 15, 16. I was always the one, you know, they just say, you know, get the hell out of here or whatever. But I never really did anything to deserve that. But I was homeless, as usual, and I was looking for a job, and I found a carnival set up at the mall, and they asked us if we wanted to travel, so we did. And once we got there, she went around with all the guys, she was gone, it doesn't really matter. And I kept doing the carnival thing for like three and a half years, doing rides. And I never knew it, but, and I don't really understand it fully, but I had it like a oppression or something on me like I walked into an AG church one time and they tried to cast a demon out of me and I thought they were crazy and I just visited that same AG church before I came here this time I was just in Florida two weeks ago and they said whatever was on you is gone and it actually manifested whenever um, I got picked up well I'll tell you this I, I left the carnival with my friend and we were walking for several days down to church they picked us up they brought us in they, they didn't just talk to us or give us money but they equipped us and they put us in a place to stay, and I got a job and all this, but one day this demon manifested. I couldn't say the name of Jesus. It would, it would, like, it would take my hearing away. I couldn't hear. I dealt with it for a week, got delivered, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And, but, but I kept going back. Like, I kept messing up. But guess what? I'm still here. Like, a righteous man falls seven times. All right? So... It gets up. I was in the Dormer Motel on Lisbon Street. You go all the way down Lisbon Street, uh, and on the right, there's the Dormer Motel. And I was living there with my friend Caesar, and we were drinking, got in a fight, and then I was homeless right here in Lewiston for two and a half months in the dead of winter. About a year ago, two years ago, I was sleeping across from the fire station, but where the Greyhound is. Uh, you walk out of the Greyhound, the first. Stairway, you go up, up in that cube, that's where I was at, sleeping, an alcoholic, and I was hopeless. Like, the word, I mean, yeah, the word hopeless doesn't even describe how hopeless I was. I hated everybody, I was, I was cold every night, I, I had to get my fix. And the other thing is, I didn't have anybody supporting me. You know, my mom was drinking somewhere, my dad's in prison, my grandma didn't want anything to do with me, my sister was in Florida doing her own thing. So I'm here to tell you, you don't need anybody to support you. I was right here, but Jesus, he took me out of it. So the thing is, I actually got housing at one point, and it was only going to be $50 a month. I paid the first month, and I was selling my plasma here for $35 a week. You know, needle stuck in your arm for about 40 minutes, and um, I got back up with my friend Caesar. We started hanging out again. And we went to get some molly one night, but it wasn't molly, it was like mixed with bath salts or whatever, and they sell that. And I was strung out for two days in my apartment, just hallucinating and stuff. 
and suicidal, just like Van said, I was suicidal for the first time. Just crying out to God, I had no furniture, no bed, sleeping on a pile of clothes, I had no dishes, canned food, but no can opener. And so I was strung out, and I was just crying out to God, and my friend Caesar had given me 50 bucks to pay the rent, but instead, I used that to get on the Greyhound to come to Bangor. And my mom had shortly, like, before that happened, she had left to go to Bangor and asked her about the church she was going to, which was Cedar Reach. And I said, do they talk about the Holy Spirit? Because I knew I needed to go to a church that had the Holy Spirit. Yes. That was really about it. And she said, well, I think they said something about it. So I went, all right, I'll take it. So I went. And that Sunday, I got, like, refilled with the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't suicidal anymore. Come on. And, you know, I've, I've fallen back a few times. I'm in the home right now for two months. But the thing is, you know, they always say, oh, it's different this time, but it's different this time. Yes. Like, I just get it in a way that I never got it. Um, before I came here this time, I was living with my stepdad uh, without power for two and a half months. But that's not what I wanted. Like, I wanted to serve God. Like, I know the calling I have on my life and everything. And, um, yeah, here I am. Delivered. Yeah. Um, my name is Spencer Gray. I'm from Bullhill, Maine, which nobody here probably knows, but it's on the coast. Same county as the Kitty National Park and elsewhere. Uh, I'm probably the prime example of what you do when you don't have the Lord in your life over years. I was married for 28 years, and I uh, was saved in a Baptist church, but the problem was that if you don't keep God in your life, bad situations can happen. And I got an accident there and got addicted to opiates. I mean, big time. And I let them overtake my life. The demon of addiction struck me. And I uh, get worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I don't know if I thought my wife was stupid or what, but she wasn't. And one day, last year, it got so bad, she wanted me to make a choice. Either her or drugs. Well, well, well. Well, it's the same theory. Guess what I chose? I chose the drugs. Demon of addiction had me. And uh, the enemy probably knew what was going on. We, we call it, we're fighting the spiritual war. And uh, she left me. And, uh, you know, the enemy knew what was happening. <laughs> and I, from then on, I mean, I uh, spiraled down. I went from finding everything I could possibly take. I mean, I'm still working. I was going to work at 5 o'clock in the morning, getting home at 8 o'clock at night. But I always had to look for that fix at night. That was, that was a reward. I had been working all day. So we found it and of course when you couldn't find uh, the opiates, the wrong streets, or usually I could, but then because H was there. And H was very cheap. People think that they cure the opiate problem, but you know, anybody can get H anyways here, anyways in Maine. My whole family dealed in it, dealing cocaine. So I didn't never had a problem of getting it, it was cheap. And then I got hooked on that, and then, you know, I just spiral and spiral. And then I tried to clean myself up. I had a friend who was in church, and I uh, cleaned myself up. And I said, well, I wrote my wife, actually, a love letter. I hadn't even wrote, I've read, I uh, wrote in like 20 years. And um, brought her 10 white roses that day. And uh, <laughs> come to find out, she'd already found somebody else. So I really, and I said, Lord, and I actually tried to come and kill myself. They wouldn't let me. And I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, why don't you let me die? Just let me die. You know, but he wouldn't. I, I was getting mad, you know. <laughs> then I got delivered there and I actually <clears throat> I got into the Rockland, it's called the Park Ward. And uh, from then on I got up to City Reach and uh, I had that thing behind me, you gotta leave, you gotta leave, you gotta leave. And I wanted to leave something fast, but I kept hanging tough there. Four days out of there, we, it was on a Friday night, and there was a, we had like a men's meeting there, and uh, we caught Friday night fights. And it was a friend of mine, well, he wasn't a friend of mine at the time, but I didn't know the guy. This is a good part of the story. And it was about all done there, and I uh, we came up front and he put his hands on me, and I felt something. And then after that, he said, he come out and he said, you know, he said, we got to pray on you right now, you got, you got two demons hovering over you. And at that time, they, they prayed on me, and it's just like a lightning bolt struck me that night. The Holy Spirit came to me and drove everything out, and it's just like the, the addiction went instantly away. 
I mean, I was so fortunate, so lucky to have that happen then, and uh, the Holy Spirit come in me that night, and you now I've been fighting that addiction, and I mean, it's just, it's not there. And, uh, you know, um, talk about using people, and I, I, I told this last night, I had my five months, I've been five months clean. I work for Kevin, he's my boss. He don't like to be called a boss, but he's my brother, and I love him. And we were in Warwick, Rhode Island, and uh, we were, people just don't go out fundraising, but we get to evangelize people. And this guy had come in there, and he was talking about, oh, nothing can help me when I'm back when I wake up. Man, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to uh, talk to this guy. So one thing you want to do is always obey the Holy Spirit and tell you to pray. So I went down and said, Sir, I said, uh, can, I, uh, can I help you? Away? I knew something was wrong. He said, back my knee. Nobody can do anything about it. So it ripped all the pieces. I said, well, uh, God can heal it if you, if you let me. Let me pray on you. So I went down and said, all right, boy, nothing else has worked. So I, I went down and kneeled down. I put my hand on him and I prayed for him. And uh, that was good, and he left there, and I never, you know, I never get to see him because he went out the other door. And he had come back the next day, and he, he wanted to know if I remembered him. I asked, yeah, I think I remember you. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he said, you know, the other guy that prayed for me yesterday, he said, you know, I went home two hours and got up, and my knee was healed. Yeah. And that's what God can do to you. Yeah. You know, like I said, we need to be reminded that God is real and God can yes. still do miracles. And that was one of them right there. And it proved, I mean, it proved to me, sometimes I doubt, sometimes, that what God can do. And, you know, kind of like slap me in the head and say, look, this is what I can do. And it's never a human being. It's all glory always goes to God. But I'm so thankful. I know guys up in the home, we get about between 15 and 16 guys sometimes. And some of the new guys we call seven day wonders come in, they're always whining about something. And what I say, get up in the morning, I say, you know what boys? I said, I thank God every morning that he leaves me up in the pit of hell and addiction. I don't have to worry about going to find an fixed. I'm so happy that I come to City Reach and I uh, worship every day. I can't wait to get into worship services now. I remember even when I was young in the Baptist church, you know, sometimes yeah, I, man, I fall asleep in there, you know, like there, I don't know, this church getting over. <laughs> well, no, but uh, I praise the Lord and thank the Lord for what he's done for me and thank you guys for listening to me. God bless you all. Both working, man. Technology. All right, so go. Can I take one? Yeah. Can I take one? Can I go introduce yourself? Nobody knows who you are. I'm a follower of Christ. My name's Kevin. Woo! Yeah, happy to be here. Um, never been the lowest in my life until last year. I, I think it was March 1st. Dan and Lindsay came to Bangalore to pick me up. I was six months into the discipleship program there. Um, green in my walk, newly saved, newly sober, really didn't know what the challenge was in life, um, very spiritually mature. I came out here in the wilderness, um, because I was of the world, I really had to like fake it till I make it. I had to meet some contacts here like Andrew and Self 53, Brian and these guys here and Dan mentored me, helped me out with the guys in the men's home here. Um, it was a blessing. It was definitely a blessing. I got to see men like Casey come to Christ. He came in an atheist. He's a, he's a true believer today. He's a man of God. He's married. He's clean. Um, Seeing men and women set free, the shackles fall off. You know, we overcome We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimonies. That's how God speaks to me right here. Isn't it beautiful? This is how I make a living. I never thought that I could support myself with doing something I love. I was always a bricklayer. Always had my um, hands to the grindstone, the alcohol in my system, just 
grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, a Catholic, Irish, Italian family. Um, never owned a Bible, but went to CCD, went to uh, Catholic school. Um, they kept the Bible from us, I don't know why. But today, I am set free from a 25-year heroin addiction. Set free from depression, suicide, alcohol, you name it. God set me free. People laid hands on me that was set free from liver disease. Today, I've been healed supernaturally from cirrhosis, hepatitis, B, and C. I'm here to tell you that God is able. We're on fire for Him. My heart's here in Houston. I still, I still pray every day that we got a new home here. And Pastor Dan, I think that this is going to be something you'll see in the future that you know, we're going to be out in the streets. We're going to be in the trenches, leading man and woman to Christ. Um, you know, we see revival here. A lot of people say that they feel it. We see it. I mean, we see it every day. We see uh, a harvest daily in uh, Bangor and surrounding areas. I'm just excited. I'm a little nervous to come back. I don't know why. You don't get scared. You can't get the mic off me. But um, I'm just going to let Andrew ask some questions. Um, I'm just a guy that's grateful today and set free and I'm fine with Jesus. Amen. Tell me the hardest moment. You got delivered in jail. Tell me the hardest moment that you had in City Reach where you was like, yo, I want to quit. Or if you ever wanted to quit. Uh, I have the mic. Come on. Um, I actually, I didn't really run with a lot of girls. Dudes for me are a lot easier. It's black and it's white. There's no gray. You know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. It doesn't take a five minute answer for, hey, do you want to take a shower? You know what I mean? So my roommate just happens to be really girly. <laughs> and she's got a depression, which is totally off. I'll be drunk now, thank you. Then that was depression, I won't do any now because God delivered me, but if I have to choose. Um, because that's something that carries you your whole life, you know? And I never realized that. And I guess it was kind of selfish of me to think that I had it worse. But um, we got into it just over differences in opinions, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you don't need that the, the mirror for an hour, you know what I mean? Or like, hey, it takes me five minutes and I'm done, in, out, done. It takes her like six. So I kept being nice to her, Christ-like mind, because I've been renewed, let me just tell you, like, I throw hands like a dude, okay? Like, <laughs> like I'm just saying, I'm just keeping it 100 with you. Like, I know men that won't bow up to me, baby. Okay, and like this girl, like I'm trying to be nice to her and I'm trying to do what Christ wants me to do, you know what I mean? Have love, have love. And I've noticed yeah. too that when, you, when you're going like this with somebody, it's because they have something that you need to learn, that you need to take because the devil's going to push you. He don't want you to know what she's got, you know what I mean? So that's the person you need to get to know the best. Yeah. And um, it was funny because I kept trying to be nice to her and she kept getting mad at me. Like, here you want the mop, mop bucket, ah, ah. you know what I mean? And I'm like, ah. Walking away, you know what I mean? Now I know how married couples feel, by the way. Why that married ends work that. Um, and <laughs> so anyways, I had to go to our leader and just be like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I bang girls out for less, okay? And she threw my shoe. And I'm really angry about my shoes, okay? I'm really angry about my shoes. I pray for these jays right down with color, let me just tell you. Um, <laughs> But, so, so know, conflict within the house is hard. The whole, all of us, all of us are like that. And like, I know because my hands make you know, I'll, just, I'll preach on it all night. It's hard because you, you hate each other, you know what I mean? And just living with girls, but doing what Christ would want you to do and not, you know what I mean? That is the biggest thing. Like somebody coming up to you and being like, you know, spitting in your face, like, I'm so silly. And like, that's, you, know, you know what I mean? But being able to walk away from that, God's delivering you. Yeah, they know, but the same with that too. Like girls and girls. So, for the, for the guys, uh, what was the hardest moment for you in the in the home? I'd say, like all my life, nothing has ever lasted for too long. Like even even down to like me having a room, I don't even really put anything up or organize it or anything because, and I don't even realize I'm doing it, but now I do because I'm so used to never being anywhere for any amount of time. Like, I try to save everything. I try to use everything more than once. And someone had to point it out to me because I'm so used to not having anything at all or what I have being taken. But the hardest thing is just, I like it was, just giving up my will. And because I always, 
make rash decisions or, you know, God will bring me to a place where, like, this is where you're supposed to be, you know, it, it says, um, he makes, he prepares a, what is it, pasture for me to lay down, he prepares a place for me to sit, you know, and, and I don't just, yeah, it's all 23, but I don't, I usually don't sit there, you know, I just go somewhere else, but God had, had this for me, and lately, like I was telling someone earlier, I don't remember ever hearing much about entering his rest. Mm. But in the past week or two, every teaching I end up listening to or reading the Bible, even someone gave me a word, every time it's about entering his rest. Amen. So, Amen. you know, God has a plan for me right now. I'll be taking Bible classes and all that. But even with that, you know, like, I start thinking, well, maybe I should go over here, maybe I should go over there. But, yeah. Cool. Yes, what's, what's, um, so, so you, you talked about your wife and choosing between drugs and her and, and then uh, coming around and finding that your wife has, has moved on. What's keeping you in the program? What's your motivation? Um, my motivation is uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it completely changed my life. I mean, like when you get up in the morning, they, I mean, I'm so happy now. I mean, it's... Uh, but the only other thing is, you know, I'm here in the program to build the arm up when you go out. I mean, reality is that we're in a bubble in there. I mean, we don't have the outside influences that we're going to have in the world, but the thing is, it has us help me because I work with Kevin a lot. I'm outside all the time, and I like to put myself to the test, you know, when I can go away from City Beach and uh, survive, you know, have the Lord. And uh, that's one of the motivations, I guess, and uh, um, that's about it. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, because I think it's you that said you're not going to see your kids for the entire nine months. Um, how did you How did you deal with that to, to say, okay, I'm going to stay even though I can't see my child? Uh, I pray about it a lot. When I first came here, I couldn't even say her name, which is Kaylee, uh, without crying. I felt mm. a lot of guilt about it, and also her dad tells me all the time, why can't you just stop doing drugs? Why can't you be a good mom? Why can't you love your daughter enough to just be sober here? And I'm missing God. Like, I had to come here to be myself, to learn who I was, to, to meet God. He chose for me to be here, and I've come to recollection. Like, I'm okay with that. God brought me here for a reason, and I trust him so much with such blind faith that I know it's working out exactly how he has planned. Um, so, similar question to you, um, What's it like being separated from family? Uh, what's keeping you here when you could quit at any time and go back there? Um, actually, I'm very blessed. Um, my kids do come visit me, um, and I struggle. I do. Sometimes I just want to give up because it's, that's all I've ever done. Um, but for the first time being in this home, I never thought about the consequences before. I just did whatever I wanted to do. Now, I actually stop, and I think about the consequences. And what keeps me here is my kids see a change in me, like, unbelievably. Um, they see me happy, and anytime I think I'm going to give up, I think of them, and I think, and I want this too, because I feel better. Like, I've never been happy before. I mean, I thought I had it all together, but I didn't, and I feel it. I feel it in my heart, and I'm so grateful, so that's what keeps me in, and like I said, I am grateful they do come visit me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how both of you are dealing with difficult, because on the one hand, it's great that they come, but then you have to see them go, right? Um, and you're still sticking with it for the greater good. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. Um, somebody, in two minutes or less, tell me the gospel. Check it again. Well, we are born in the sin. The law of sin and death is working in us already. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the vine. John 15, apart from the vine, you cannot produce fruit. You cannot do it on your own. Um, and that's everybody, hallelujah. Everybody. And he was the perfect sacrifice, and he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He, he died, and His blood is what covers us. We're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, but faith without works is dead. You know, God can't see our sin through that wall of blood. So just accept Jesus, but, you know, He said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So, 
Walk in the light. He's in the light. Just read the Bible. You know, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, He will lead you. He will show you. He will open your eyes. Because, you know, it says, The God of this world is blind to the eyes of the unbeliever. But He will open your eyes. Alright, so, um, God did amazing things with these, I mean, you guys can go. <laughs> God did amazing things with these people, but like, uh, Donnie, is that right? I got your name right? Like Donnie said, it's not about, uh, they're not saved because they quit drugs, they're not saved because they're good people, they're saved because of what Jesus did. And they did all the quitting the drugs and all the rest of it as a response to what Jesus has done for them. Um, and so, look, we're about to sing. I know we're a little late, but we're about to sing because Jesus is worth us singing. Died and rose again so that uh, our friends here and their children, right, as a very, very good point about our kids, um, could be delivered. He's given us all a hope and a future. So, praise God. So, let's... Let's sing. Everybody stand up and sing loud. Don't need to worry. We're going to let you beat us. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.